Bible in front of you. It's on page 497. Please rise for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Psalm chapter 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your inspired word, that through your word we may be able to hear your voice speaking to us this morning. And we pray that you may satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all the days of our lives. Work your word deep into our hearts. Holy Spirit, teach us. Holy Spirit, make us ready to receive what you have to say. Thank you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And one of the challenges of being modern students of an ancient scripture is the cultural distance between us. The time and place in which these books were written is very different from what we experience today. And so if you're like me, if you grew up here in the States, you didn't really grow up around castles and fortresses. You can't just walk down the street or drive down the road and see a mighty castle on the corner. Maybe if you're from Europe, maybe also from Asia, it might be different, but Americans simply are not familiar with castles and city walls or strongholds and citadels. I think like Cinderella's castle at, at Magic Kingdom, that's like pretty much what we have to work with. That's, that's our extent of, of experience with castles. 
And so when we read Psalm 91 and we come across imagery of a shelter, I think we tend to picture in our minds maybe a storm shelter, right? Something strong enough to keep out the elements, but nothing too imposing, right? Or when we imagine a refuge, maybe we think of a log cabin out in the woods by a still lake. You know, it's, you go, well, you go to a refuge for, for peace and quiet. But when the psalmist spoke of a shelter, when the psalmist spoke of a refuge, friends, he was picturing a fortress. And not just some colonial fort made of timber that enemies could easily burn down. I mean, no, we are talking about a mighty fortress, a massive castle of stone that stretches way up into the sky. I mean, just think Lord of the Rings proportions, right? Just picture with me Helm's Deep, Minas Tirith, Right? These imposing structures that just exude power, they communicate protection. We need the right picture in our heads. Because without the right picture, it's really hard to rightly interpret a psalm. Psalms are songs that use a lot of poetic language. And so that means a lot of imagery. And so that means the psalmist had an image in his head as he was penning this song. And so if your image doesn't match up with his, then you're likely to miss some very important nuances here. You might not grasp the severity of the danger that the psalmist is talking about. Or you won't realize just how powerful and how imposing the Lord is in this scenario and the kind of protection that he provides for those who flee to him for refuge. So let me try to get the right picture into your head. Okay, so just picture with me. A vast army of bloodthirsty enemies hot on your trail. And you're all alone. You're on horseback. You're traversing the countryside, going over hills, going through valleys, riding like the wind as fast as you can. You've never been more frightened in your life. They are gaining on you. They're about to catch you. It's almost over. But as you crest that last hill, you see sprawled out in the valley before you, the capital city, the home of the great king. And the city walls, they stretch high to the sky and they're filled with towers and turrets and they're lined with a thousand soldiers all with bow drawn aimed at your enemies. The kingdom's flag flies high. The gates are open, ready for you, ready for your return. That, my friends, is the kind of danger you're in, and that's the kind of protection that's available to you in the Lord. And let's just be honest, that, that's just a meager sketch of the true danger and the true protection being pictured here in Psalm 91. The reality is far greater, but at least it helps us get a little bit closer. And so what I'm trying to say here is that If you say with the psalmist that the Lord is your shelter and your refuge and your hiding place, then you're saying that when great danger arises, when trouble surrounds you, when you feel utterly helpless and afraid, your instinct is to ride like the wind towards the Lord to find refuge in Him. Is that true? Is that true? For you, every creature 
has a refuge. Every creature has a hiding place. Birds have thickets. Foxes have holes. When trouble rears its head, they know exactly where to go. They go home. And so where do you go? Where do you run? Where is your home? Where is your refuge? Is it the Lord? Look, if you turn to other people, you turn to other things to feel safe, to feel secure, well, friends, you're like a bird flying to a fox's hole for safety. You're like a fly turning to a spider's web for security. Friends, you need to fly home. You need to run to wherever your father is to stand in his shadow, to be under his wings, because that is where you're going to find protection. This psalm is all about that kind of protection. As we look at it more in depth, I want to show you three things. If you want to follow along, you look in your bulletin, you'll see an outline with these three things. First, we're going to look at this psalm's staggering claim of divine protection. Second, we're going to consider a very common misunderstanding about that claim of divine protection. And third, we're going to talk about how this promise of divine protection is even, how, how it's even possible, how it's, how it's even available, and how it could apply to you. So let's begin by looking at the first couple of verses in this psalm and, and the claim of divine protection that's being made by the author. Now, if you notice, there's actually no header for this psalm telling us who wrote it, so we don't know for sure who the psalmist is, but many people think it's probably Moses, because if you look right before in Psalm 90, uh, it is, Psalm 90 is directly attributed to Moses, and so many think that 91 is as well. But, you know, regardless of the identity, this psalmist is making a very bold claim in verses 1 and 2 that the Lord Almighty protects those who take refuge in him. And then, if you want to just kind of follow along with me, look in uh, verses 3 to 8, in the middle verses, he gives just a bunch of examples of how God actually does that, how he protects those who hide in him. And then in verses 9 to 13, he reaffirms that claim of divine protection, mentioning how sometimes it comes through the ministry of angels And lastly, in verses 14 to 16, this is a little different. It's kind of as if the psalmist steps aside, and now it's the Lord speaking, and he's addressing the reader directly with promises, with six I will promises. So that's just a quick rundown of the psalm. Let's look more carefully now at verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read that to you again. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. So the psalmist begins with imagery of dwelling in the shelter of the Most High God. Other translations call it his secret place. To hide in God's secret place is then, if you follow along in that first verse, is described as being in his shadow. To be in his secret place is to be in his shadow. And if you think about it, to be in his shadow means you're in God's presence, right? You must be standing next to him if his shadow is cast over you. And so just imagine with me the Lord Almighty towering over you. 
And, and, and just imagine him standing between you and some fearsome enemy, some, some great trouble that is coming for you. He's standing between us, and we are behind him, and you know you are totally safe if you just stay there, if you remain and abide and hide in his shadow. Or perhaps, perhaps the shadow that he's casting over you is related to the imagery of a mother bird with her wings spread out over her young. That's actually a picture that we're given in verse 4. Look there with me. Verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, his, his feathers, and, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. So you're supposed to imagine this mother bird covering her babies with her wings. Maybe uh, it's shielding them from the scorching sun, uh, maybe from torrential rain or just shielding them from predators. She's just doing whatever is necessary to protect her babies. That's what mothers do. You know, in the past week, the sun and the rain have been pretty brutal for us Houstonians, hasn't it? And so we're well aware of how the sun, how a very strong burning sun can just sap your strength. And I think we all know by now how rain can devastate and destroy. And so I think we can all appreciate this imagery here in verse 4. We can appreciate this idea of finding our rest, our safety under the shadow and shade of God's wings. You're going to find that same image of God and his wings repeated in multiple Psalms. Psalm 17, verse 8, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, 7, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, verse 1, for, you, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And Psalm 63, 7, for you have been my help, and in the shadow, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. So you can try. You can try to find safety in the arms of another. You can look for refuge in your work, in your accomplishments, in yourself, in your own intellect and ingenuity, but that's like building your house on sand. It's not going to withstand the storm. Friends, take refuge in the shadow of God's wings. Let him shade you. Let him cover you. Let him protect you like a mama bird. The Lord is like a mama bird. Yes, he is a fortress. Yes, he's a castle. But do you see what the psalmist is doing when he speaks about being in the shadow of God's wings? He's trying to round out your view of God. He's trying to draw God nearer to you because, you know, most of the biblical metaphors for God are masculine, like king or father. Or he's compared to inanimate objects that convey strength and power, like a fortress or a shield or a rock. And so in order to keep us from misunderstanding God, from imagining him to be as impersonal as a rock, or to be stern and distant like, like many fathers tend to be, the psalmist wants us to picture God 
as a mama bird who draws near to you, who is tender towards you, who will not hesitate to put her life on the line to protect her children. This is the Lord, and this is how he shelters. This is how he protects. But he's not a shelter for all. If the baby bird refuses to stay under his mama's wings and wants to set off on his own and find his own shelter, she'll let him go. And so this claim of divine protection is not a universal right. It's only a claim that can be legitimately made by those who have chosen to stay under his wings, to hide in God, to trust in him. Friend, you can read verse 2, and you can just agree with it. Like You can acknowledge the Lord is a refuge and fortress, but it means very little until you can say from your heart that he's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my God in whom I trust. And so have you made him yours? Is he your refuge? Is he your fortress? Are you under his wings? And if so, then tell me, tell me, would the words dwell and abide appropriately describe your relationship with God? Because there's a big difference between turning to God every now and then when trouble arises versus actually abiding in him. There's a difference between looking to the Lord for help and actually making him your dwelling place. And so if you want to claim this divine protection for yourself, then don't just turn to God when things go bad. Turn your life over to God. Give yourself to him. Put your trust in him. Dwell there. Abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So there is a claim, a bold, staggering claim for divine protection here in this psalm. But let's look at the middle verses now in verses 3 to 13, and we'll see some more bold statements that appear to exude a lot of confidence that God won't let any harm come to those who abide in him. And I know that's going to lead us to certain misunderstandings of this divine protection. So, so this is our second point here. Let's talk about a common misunderstanding of divine protection, and hopefully I can shed some light for you. These verses, 3 to 13, seem to be teaching that if you trust in God, then no one is going to hurt you. I mean, look at verse 3. He says, he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That's a hunter of birds. Verse 5 says, you won't fear the terrors of the night or any attacks, any arrows by day. God will protect you. He will keep you from harm from the evildoers. The psalmist also seems to claim that you won't fall victim to pestilence and disease. Look at verses 3, verse 6, and 10. They all make reference to pestilence or plague. And look at verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. That's a staggering claim. Now, if Moses wrote this, like, if this is a song of Moses, then it, he could just be alluding to the many ways that God protected his people during the ten plagues, like during their exodus from Egypt. 
Okay, that would make sense. Like Moses would be just reminding the Israelites of how God shielded them from the many plagues that fell on the Egyptians, right? They were living in the same land, but the plague killed all of the livestock of the Egyptians and spared the Israelites. And while thunder and hail struck the Egyptians, and while pitch black darkness surrounded them, it was sunny and clear over the camp of Israel. And so, These middle verses are definitely a fitting description of the Exodus. But friends, we we can't just explain them away as descriptions of the past. Because the future tense marks these verses. Just look there. It says, he will deliver you. You will find refuge. You will not fear. It will not come near you. You will tread on the lion and the adder. And so how then are we to understand this? At first glance, it appears to be saying that if you trust God, if you hide in him, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Others may experience trouble and hardship, even disease and violence, but you'll be fine. You'll be protected And on the flip side, if bad things are still happening to you, then it must be because you're not trusting God enough. You're not hiding enough. You're not abiding enough. It's on you. So do you see how how that could be the way this verse could be interpreted? Is that how we should interpret these verses? I think not. I think not. And I think there are two good reasons why that would be a misunderstanding of divine protection. First, first you have to remember that in the Bible, the Psalms fit under the category of what's known as wisdom literature. And that means you're, you're, you'll often come across verses, whether in the Psalms or maybe in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, that might express a general truism a wise saying that generally holds true, but if taken by itself, if treated as an immutable law of nature or an immutable promise of God, then that verse could be misinterpreted and misapplied to give promises that it never intended to make. And so just look at verse 10. When verse 10 says, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, is that, intended to be an immutable promise of God for those who trust in him as their refuge. You might be tempted to think that, that God won't allow bad things to happen to his children. But that, my friends, is when you need to turn to another book in the same category of wisdom literature in order to get a more balanced view. Because if you've ever read the book of Job, it's in the wisdom literature, you know Job is about a righteous man who experienced a whole lot of disaster. A lot of evil is allowed to befall him. All the things that Psalm 91 seems to say won't happen to you if you trust God happened to Job. And Job is a man that is depicted as trusting in God. And all that just takes place in the first two chapters of the book of Job. In the remaining 40 chapters, Job is in dialogue with three so-called friends who keep telling him that God won't allow bad things to happen to those who trust in him, to those who turn to God for refuge. And so, Job, you must be doing something wrong, brother. Repent of your sins. 
You're not being faithful somehow, some way. And so they keep going back and forth, coming at him saying, bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things don't happen to people that trust God. Something's wrong with you, Job. But then in the very last chapter, the very last chapter, the Lord, he speaks up and he rebukes the three friends for speaking falsely. He says, he says this in chapter 42, verse 7, my anger burns against you for you have not spoken of me what is right. You're wrong. He tells those friends, you're wrong. And so this is one good reason why we shouldn't read Psalm 91 as saying bad things won't happen if you trust God. And if they do happen, it's because you didn't trust God enough. Now, that, that's exactly how Job's friends would have read Psalm 91, and the Lord himself is saying they're wrong. But there's a second reason why we shouldn't read this psalm that way. Not only is it how Job's friends would have read it, but because it's how Satan reads it. If verses 11 to 12 sound familiar, familiar to you, it's because you've heard Satan quote those very verses to our Lord Jesus during those 40 days when he was fasting in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil. And the devil tries his hardest to derail Jesus from his mission, to get him off track, to get him off the path of obedience. And in his second temptation, the devil even uses Scripture, God's own Word, to attack Jesus. And this time, unlike in the Garden of Eden, he doesn't misquote the Scripture. He gets it exactly right. The devil probably memorized it. The devil rehearsed that verse, verses 11 and 12, word for word. The devil doesn't misquote here, but he certainly misapplies. Let me read to you Matthew 4, verses 5 to 6. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Essentially, he's saying to Jesus, Look, the Bible even says that bad things won't happen to those who trust in God. So if you really trust God, and if he really loves you, then you can just jump off this temple and his angels will catch you. He won't let you get hurt. He won't allow evil to befall you. Do you see his strategy here? He wanted Jesus, and he wants you, to read Psalm 91 as a blanket promise from God that he won't allow anything bad to happen to you. Why? Why does he want you to read it that way? Because he knows that when trials and tribulations do come, and yes, friends, they will come, you will be disillusioned or devastated. Disillusioned in God because he doesn't seem to keep his promises or devastated in your faith, blaming yourself for not having enough of it, for not trusting in God enough. And he'll have you exactly where he wants you. 
no longer taking refuge in the Lord, no longer in the shadow of his wings. You're going to be out in the open, standing on your own, and you will be easy pickings for him. And that's why we should not read Psalm 91 this way. Don't misunderstand divine protection. Making the Lord your refuge and fortress does not guarantee a pass from all harm. God never gives a blanket promise to rescue the faithful from all trouble, but he does, friends, he does promise to be with the faithful in their trouble. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. This is now the Lord speaking to us. When he, the one who takes refuge in the Lord, when he calls to me, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Rescue is promised, but clearly it does not mean that all trouble will be avoided. Did the Lord rescue Joseph from trouble and prevent evil from befalling him? No, but he was with Joseph in the pit. He was with Joseph in Pharaoh's dungeon. What was meant for evil against him by evildoers was meant by God for good. Did the Lord rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace? No, but we're told that he was with them in the furnace. When Nebuchadnezzar peered inside the furnace, it says that he saw not just three men, but four figures walking in the midst of the fire unharmed. God was with them. Did the Lord rescue the Apostle Paul from Caesar's sword? No, but he never abandoned him. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.17 that though everyone else deserted him, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That's the protection that you're going to find in God. Not a promise to escape all trouble, but a promise that God will be with you in all trouble. Not a guarantee to avoid all evil and harm, but a guarantee that all things, including evil and harm, work together for good for those who love God, for those who have been called according to his purpose. I I know the statements being made in this psalm sound very bold, very confident, but friends, Psalm 91 is not a boast of victory. It's an expression of faith. It's not a claim of invincibility. It's a claim of trust in a sovereign Lord who will not let a hair on your head perish apart from his good plans and purposes. And so that means if he does allow evil to befall you, like he did with Job, you can trust that God knows what he's doing. Perhaps, maybe, He is shaping you into the kind of person who could better handle trouble and can help other people who find themselves in similar trouble. Maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe that's his plan and purpose. He is making you into his servant. Just think of Job. He comes out on the other end of his trials now with experiential knowledge. He knows, not just because he read a theology book, he knows now that you won't find shelter and refuge in wealth and possessions. They're fleeting. 
You won't find it in friends. They can lead you astray. And you won't even find it in family, in a wife, in kids, because they can let you down or they can simply be taken away from you. Job now knows that the Lord Almighty is the only refuge and fortress that cannot be shaken. God is the one dwelling place that you can truly be safe in because of his trials, because of his troubles. Job is better equipped than most to handle the worst that the world can throw at you. And he is better equipped to help the foremost sufferer who is struggling in his or her troubles. So who knows? Maybe that's why God is putting you through trouble. He's with you, and he is shaping you. He is equipping you to be someone who can handle more of it and can help others through it. God knows what he's doing. You can trust them in your troubles. The psalm ends with the Lord himself speaking to us, making six I will promises. This is our third point. This is the last thing I want you to see in this text. God's promise to divinely protect. Let me read verses 14 to 16 again and see if you could just count all six. Six I wills. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is an amazing promise to divinely protect those who hide in him. If you hold fast to God in love, if you call on his name in the day of trouble, he will answer, he will deliver you, he will protect you, he will be with you in trouble, he'll rescue you, he'll satisfy you, he'll show you his salvation. But again, friends, if you interpret that to mean that you're invincible, that nothing bad will ever or should ever happen to you because you trust God, then you're clearly not reading it right because we know that the one man who perfectly did hold fast to God, who perfectly did trust in him, found himself in a garden calling out to God for the cup to pass over him, but received no answer. And he was not delivered. And he was not protected. And he wasn't rescued from his cross. But do you see here? It's it's because Jesus stepped out from the shadow and safety of his father's wings and faced danger and death for us. It's because he did that. That's what secures all of God's promises to divinely protect his children. It's because of what Jesus did. Now, no one, no one can snatch us from the Father's hands. He will never leave us. He says he will never forsake us. We can rest in him safe and secure because of Jesus. You know, there's this one moment in the Gospels where Jesus actually compares himself to a mama bird. It's found in Matthew chapter 23. 
It's in the context of judgment and woe against the Pharisees, against the leaders of Jerusalem who have rejected God and his Messiah. And do you remember what he says? He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. This is Jesus adopting the exact same metaphor that we find in Psalm 91. He is God incarnate. He is God with us in trouble. And don't overlook the fact that this trouble, this trouble is our own doing. Because of our sinfulness, we have brought God's judgment and woe upon ourselves. And friends, if you are not willing to hide under Jesus' wings, if you stand out in the open and trust in yourself, then you can be sure that all of God's strength, all of God's might, all of his sovereign power will be used to judge you and condemn you. You know, we get scared of what man can do to us. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, not to fear man who might be able to kill you, but after that is nothing else he can do to you. No, he says, if you're going to fear, fear God, who after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Friends, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I know we need protection from many things, but most of all, we need protection from the righteous judgment of God. But the good news of the gospel is that God, this God that you should fear, is the same God who sent in love his son to gather us together under the shadow of his wings. Like that mama bird, Christ put his life on the line to protect us. He absorbed the scorching heat of the wrath that was reserved for us. He took a beating from the storm of sin's judgment against us. And now, if you find shelter in his wings, then all of God's strength, all of God's might, all of his sovereign power will now be used to protect you, to keep you eternally safe and secure. And so if bad things happen to you now, you know it's not because God is against you. You know it's because he's working those things out for your good If you're standing behind God, just think about it. If you are behind God in his shadow, then obviously he's on your side. You're on his side. He's on your side. He is for you. He is there to protect you. So keep trusting him, friends. Stay under his wings. Father, thank you for this promise. Thank you that you out of love, have sent your son Jesus to make this promise secure so that we know now that if we hide in you, if we abide under your wings, 
all of your sovereign power will be exercised to protect us, to keep us safe and secure. You did not spare your own son. So how much more will you protect us until the day that we stand before you face to face, finally at home? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.